Welcome to Wellversed, where we bring biblical principles of governance to governmental leaders and you. This is the Wellversed podcast. Well, we went through a number of nations in Europe. You'll remember that when we went last uh, time to Europe, an extensive tour, uh, more recent, we've done them in 2018 and 2019, such we didn't do anything, of course, during COVID. But then we went uh, more recently, uh, say February, March, we were in Amsterdam, uh, Albania, Macedonia, Romania, Austria, uh, Germany, uh, Latvia, Liechtenstein, uh, what did I miss? Switzerland, and then closed out in Israel. Uh, this time it was Vienna, Austria, then Budapest, Hungary, Helsinki, Finland, Oslo, Norway, Geneva, Switzerland, uh, London, England, and then to Amsterdam. But you'll notice those are all the capital cities. And of course, in Amsterdam, it's the Hague is where the capital is, but the capital city is considered uh, Amsterdam. So <clears throat> our goal was to meet with other believers to bring biblical principles of governance to government leaders. Anybody remotely involved in government, member of the parliament, or even former members of the parliament, or because many of them are still active in governmental ways, anybody who's involved in government to bring biblical principles of government now, that's our particular uh, goal. First one we met when we got there, to our delight, was Shaban Sols. I've mentioned his name numbers of times. He is from Albania. He was meeting us there in Vienna. And he's the man who says, I want him to take Wellversed and the book of Wellversed and make it an institution in Albania. He's been giving it to pastors. He was kind of discouraged from the recent May 14th election, where 90% of those who got elected were socialists in a country that just got set free from communism in 1990. Uh, so he's a, he's a strategist. He's also a journalist. He also works in uh, in, in graphics art and IT. And uh, but he's really representing Wellverse in a powerful way to Albania. And it's through him that we got the book translated into Albanian. He arranged for the team to do it. And then we got to we got to see Oprah. We come in going so many times now. Uh, the woman in the yellow suit. Uh, she I've introduced her before. Uh, she's from Latvia. She's a former member of Parliament. Her husband's a member of parliament. Her son's now a member of parliament. A little tough news there at the first European nation to, to uh, elect an openly homosexual uh, as prime minister just recently. Uh, so they're, they're felt badly on that one. But the prayer movement and the, and the seeking God is strong in, in Albania. The man standing to the far right in the picture, uh, he is from Hungary. And he's the one who was our host in Hungary at our next country we went to. We attended the European prayer breakfast, and I indicated that we it's like it's like homegoing, being with a lot of friends. This is this is Prince Nicholas of Liechtenstein. We spent a lot of time on our last trip with him and his wife, an absolutely delightful time. His his wife is is one who's who's deep in the things of the spirit. When I said to him, I said, "How do you want me to pray for Liechtenstein?" When I was with him last time in his country, Liechtenstein, a tiny country uh, near Switzerland, uh, he said, "Pray that people would know Christ." He has such a tender heart uh, before the Lord and a real, a gracious, a gracious gentleman. Uh, this is one of the prayer partners, the prayer leaders and uh, governmentally active persons from Latvia. Again, we were getting to see her. She's been on the World Prayer Network and led in prayer. Gets up in the middle of the night. I said, well, we could pre-record. You said, no, I'll get up in the middle of the night to pray with all of you. And it was good to see her. Uh, this is a man who is a former member of the European Union. Now, there's there's members of parliament from each country. And then there's the European Union. 
it's uh let's see 40 let's see it says 20 it's 27 nations now 26 nations since uh, britain left and then there's the council of europe which is around 47 countries um the one that's the more better known is the european union and he was he's a former when i first met him back in 2018 i believe it was uh he he's was a member of the european union and he's a He's a he's a follower of Jesus Christ. He's passionate about the Lord. And then, if I recall right, I believe he's the one who's done some street preaching. Uh, this lady, I'm stopping here. I not met her till this particular time, but I want you to see Gundar. Uh, uh, Gundar is the lead, leading an or uh, entity in. Um, she was not only leader at the prayer breakfast in Austria, but she's leading a major event that I want you to begin to pray for. That takes place October 30 through November 1. And that's called ARC ARC, which is the Alliance for Responsible Citizenship. Rewind Alliance for Responsible Citizenship. She's leading this. Why is that important? Well, in my words, this is not her words, but in my way of assessing it, this is sort of the response to the World Economic Forum. It's bringing some of the greatest minds together to lead in sanity, not wokeness. And uh, Jordan Peterson, who many of you know, Canada, Victor David Hansen, who many of you know, uh, he's, they're going to be their representative, Mike Johnson from Louisiana. Now, Representative or Congressman Mike Johnson was the one who helped Tony Perkins and me sponsor the National Gathering for Prayer and Repentance in Washington, D.C. on February the 1st of this year. We're going to expand it this year. It'll be February the 7th. I'm sorry, correction, that's not right. Uh, we just got the correct date. It'll be January the 31st. This year, January the 31st, mark your calendar to come to Washington, D.C., January 31st, for the not just National Gathering of Prairie Pens, but Tony and I have talked to Tony Perkins of the FRC, Family Research Council. It'll be uh, the international gathering for prayer repentance. <clears throat> and we're going to invite people from all across the world who are elected officials to lead in prayer and repentance for their respective nations. Now, going back to Gundar, if some of you, Rosemary and I were, were in England just yesterday, a couple of days ago, and... I've been there quite a number of times, taking people on tours of, of John, Wesley, John Wesley tours. So I took Rosemary to some of those sites. She's been in England a lot, but she's not been to those sites. And I have to think, it's been a long time since I've taken people on a John Wesley tour. So I think I've done four of them or so. So I think we'll do that November 1 in the days following, November 2 for about four or five days. And we'll tie it on the back of this particular major event called the Alliance for Responsible Citizenship. And I'm really encouraged that a group like this globally has come together. And, and these are my words again. It's, it's the counterbalance to the World Economic Forum, which I believe has done so much harm uh, to our globe. And this lady, Gundar, her first name, is the one who's giving strong leadership to that. Unfortunately, the conference itself is very, very pricey. It's already halfway filled in terms of its capacity, and it's very pricey. It's $1,500 registration. So 
So even if you can't afford to go to that, you may want to go with us, come later and go on the John Wesley tour of England. Uh, we're, we're just in the process of putting this together. I want you to pray for this woman because anybody who stands, and she's from Austria, anybody who stands and stands in the things of God is under horrific pressure, like you cannot believe. So pray for this woman. And you remember to pray for Gundar. Continue on. This is Austria. This is their parliament, which they do not use. It was built for people who, at a time when people were apparently smaller, and it's not considered safe because of the amount of wood, so they don't actually use it, except for just small gatherings on occasion. It's quite breathtaking. They have modern ones they use now, but Austria's apartment building. Uh, we're now in Hungary. We've, shipped, we've changed countries. We're in Budapest, Hungary, standing in front of their rather spectacular apartment building there. My, my book, Well Verse, has been translated into Hungary by Pastor Sandor of the Faith Church. He owns the equivalent of the USA Today magazine, our newspaper, the biggest newspaper, covers Hungary. He owns a Christian TV station that is expansive. I mean, is impressive, I should say. It's Fox. He owns a Christian radio network there. It's fabulous what that church has done. He was a man who tried to escape communism as a young man. They got caught at the border, and the guard said to him, go back and help your people, and he did exactly that. They now own what was the training center for the communists. They own as part of their training center and where they house their radio show and close to their TV station. Uh, but here we are in Budapest, Hungary. We got, we got to go to the conference. Now, when you go, when you involve governmentally, you have to flow. This is every time we've been involved, anything governmentally, I've been involved my whole life. You have to flow a lot. It's not like you rent this hotel, you invite these people, they all come and they all speak. Government is constantly changing every day. Their schedules are under day. When you have something in Washington, D.C., you never know when the time would say when Pelosi, my colleague, at that time she was Speaker of the House, might call the vote and it, it clobbers whatever event you were going to have. So things happen. When we arrived, for example, last time in Latvia, last March, they had been trying to resolve their budget. The, the, their parliament went the entire night and then until 6 or 7 a.m. in the morning. We got there to meet with members of parliament. You can imagine what happened. They'd been up the entire night and all the previous day, no sleep. Now, the good news, we got to meet with one member of parliament, a former member of parliament, and then we got introduced to a lot of our people. So it turned out to be okay. When we got here on this particular location, they were going directly in to vote at eight in the morning. I was supposed to have a meeting at 7.30, but at eight o'clock was a major vote on their budget. It was a big deal. And, and so once again, we get clobbered. However, God always has a way of orchestrating things. I got to spend the time, quality time, with the key team that I really needed to meet for the purposes of our trip. And here's some of them right here. Uh, one is a the member of parliament who is the head of the equivalent of the prayer breakfast, prayer movement for their country. So the gentleman, if you look at the lady on the right in white, uh, and you look at the man standing or both uh, during a prayer. I snapped this one picture, obviously, but the man standing beside the lady in white, the one second from the right, uh, he's a member of parliament. He was the one person I really needed to be with. Go to the person, uh, the far left was my host. Uh, then next to him, the second to the left, I really needed to meet with him. He's the chairman of the board of the prayer movement for the parliament itself. 
And he, I have a video, I start finally took a video of him because he, he just he just raced up to me and started talking so fast. He said he kept using the word second Bible, second Bible. I couldn't figure out what he was saying. And I finally figured out he was he was calling the book well versed, which is in Hungarian. He had it there, signed it to he said, This is our my second Bible. Now uh, let me just make a quick disclaimer. It's not a Bible. It's not a second Bible. It's a book. But he was simply saying he uses it so extensively. And he was saying, how can I get more? So we're sending him more so we can get him both Hungarian and some in English. And the lady in the far right is an attorney, and she's the president of the entire prayer movement for the parliament. So God orchestrated. I got to spend really quality time with the key people that I most needed to be with even though they had to race out to go to a to a major a vote uh, on their on their budget, which is a critical issue, of course, for any country, including the country of, of Hungary. We then um, went to from there to uh, um, Helsinki, Finland. By the way, the, the, this time of the year, as you know, we're so far north. We're clear up on. Um, the 60th latitude. When I, when I got to The Hague in the Netherlands a few years ago, I asked my host, uh, Jack Vanderting, I said, what, what degree are we latitude? He looked at me with the strangest look, says, nobody has ever asked me that. Well, I asked that, and I keep track of it because I'm intrigued in the growing seasons. I'm originally a farm kid from Kansas, you know, and I'm interested in like the growing season we have here in San Diego. We have a growing season that lasts literally year-round season that everything plants grow all year round there's not really a winter that stops the growth here <clears throat> and and maybe as you get close to the equator of course that's true but as you go further north the furthest north i've ever been is anchorage alaska no fairbanks yep uh fairbanks alaska 64 latitude so but we are up at 60 and 59 in oslo norway and, and 60 in helsinki which means uh at midnight you could go on the street and you could read a book there was plenty of sunlight at that time and people take advantage of it because it was going to be dark all winter they will have very little very little light their days extremely short so we, we really had an enormously wonderful time because the, the streets were full of people till late night it was always just very active so it was, a, it was a really fun time to go but the gentleman right here uh just look at the gentleman on the right with me <clears throat> uh, here's what these people go through they had just had elections I say just, it occurred in April. So that's quite a long time ago. But they've gone in negotiations and they've been in negotiations for quite time to try to form a coalition. Now, you and I tend to think Republican, Democrat, but our Canadian friends are on this or from other countries, they think in terms of parliament where they may have 13 or 14 parties and maybe the, the top party doesn't get enough votes. For example, there was an election yesterday in Greece for the top party uh got little old, got 158 seats out of 300 that's almost not ever heard, heard of he doesn't have to form a coalition with anybody else that rarely happens but what happens is the top party that gets the most will start forming coalitions to try to get more than 50 percent, and that's called forming a government when they say we have no government that means they have no functioning coalition so israel went without a government for a long time and the bureaucracy was still grinding away but they had no functioning parliament, the Knesset members. Uh, they had vote after vote after vote and couldn't get it resolved for the longest time. Five, I guess five different votes they had. And Netanyahu, of course, emerged in the end. 
But in, in here, they had just had this election, but now they were negotiating, pulling parties together. And they'd been doing it constantly, day after day after day after day. So the man on the right, you see there, he came to the restaurant to meet with us, member of parliament. He said, I'm just exhausted. And he had a bowl of ice cream and he just left. He said, I, I, I'm so exhausted. I can't, I can't stay awake any longer. And then the others, uh, we, didn't get, we didn't catch all of them. I wish we kept a picture of all that we were with in that restaurant that came to meet us. But these had been through the lady in the upper left-hand corner. Uh, she's, um, she's actually a, an assistant to a member, former member of parliament. The lady in the lower left-hand corner, uh, she's a medical doctor. And uh, I want you to see these people. This, uh, they go through so much standing for biblical values. Uh, they, they take a beating. It is, it is extremely difficult uh, what, what they experience. This is Helsinki, Finland. By the way, in Helsinki, we encountered something there that in the time I was there in Helsinki, I do not believe I found one single I didn't see a single Finnish flag. It's the it's the cross. We saw hundreds. It feels like hundreds of rainbow flags. Uh, that tells you the, the challenge the believers face in in that country. There is one of our great heroes uh, that we got to see in Helsinki. She's also a member of Parliament. This is Pivi Ritsanan. You've heard me talk about Pivi Ritsanan. Before we've had her on the World Prayer Network call. Uh, this lady has been a member of the parliament 28 years. She's the former minister of the interior for Finland. That's the Finnish parliament in our background. She's a medical doctor. Her husband is a president of a Bible college and a missionary training school. A well-respected person, well-known in Finland. By the way, Finland is a long country. You went from across North Dakota, South Dakota, Nebraska, Kansas, uh, maybe a little bit into Oklahoma. That would be, I'm picking the Midwest states there. That would be how long it is. I suspect it could be easily as long as, uh, longer than California. I, I haven't compared that. I need to compare that. It's a long country. It's sizable in its size. Not very wide so much, but very long. But I mean, she was accused of a crime. I hate crime. What did she do? You may remember. I may be reminding you of this. She was accused of a hate crime because what she did was she in a in a it was on social media. I don't really remember which form of social media it was right now. It might have been on Twitter. I can't recall. She challenged her bishop of the Lutheran Church, which had been conservative as the church of her, of her childhood, her birth and childhood, she'd always been a part of, and how they had gone so woke. And she listed a scripture, Romans chapter 1, verses 24 through 27. And that's when the Apostle Paul writes about the issue of homosexuality. And she was immediately hauled into court for this, threatened with a fine. I think the fine, if I remember correctly, was the equivalent of $350,000 U.S. dollars, maybe $330,000 U.S. dollars, possibly a, a jail time at one, po at one point. She was found not guilty. She was acquitted of this crime. And what did they do? The prosecutor hauled her right back into court and charged her again. Obviously, they have, their laws are a bit different than ours. And she's now in a long, drawn-out process again. If you Google Heidi, 
written on them. You can see here being led by police and stuff into courtrooms, et cetera. We'll have her come back on for a report, but she has really gone through the fire and she is completely resolved. She is not intimidated. She's sort of a Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Esther, Deborah, all wrapped in one, joyful, happy. I interviewed her and I'm gonna play that interview. Uh, I interviewed her right there in that outdoor setting, right in front of the parliament building. I'll play it for you at another time. If we go now to the next country, we went from Helsinki, Finland, to Oslo, Norway. We're now in front of the parliament building. By the way, you'll see a child to the, to the left side of the screen. And you see that I think it's the child's mother there. The mother was talking to the child. I should have captured the whole band, but um, it was a Christian band setting up. And this lady's one of the singers on the band. And they were setting up to do a Christian concert on the on, right on the streets, right in front of the parliament. It was it was really wonderful. We came back a little bit later when they were all set up and they were playing and talked with them. They were giving testimonies. These are bold Christians in tough, tough countries. This is not an easy place uh, to minister. You think you've got it tough in your area. We think we got it tough in California or Minnesota or, or Michigan or New York State. Uh, boy, you ought to be in, in the environments they're in and see what they go through. Now look above our head, the second floor, and that's where the parliament meets. It is a breathtakingly beautiful uh, chamber. A member of parliament gave us a wonderful tour. Uh, I'll get to that in a moment. Let me go, uh, uh, yeah, on this building right here, we're, we're just standing in the same position we were in the previous one, but the, but the person taking the picture has changed angles. <clears throat> so the building, the parliament building is to the right. Why is this important? It's the Grand Hotel. Why is the Grand Hotel important in Oslo, Norway? This is the place where whoever wins the Nobel Peace Prize stays. They come out on that balcony directly above our heads there that you see the black balcony, black railing. And they stand there and the crowds greet them and cheer for them as winners of the Nobel Peace Prize. But that's right beside the Oslo Norway Parliament building. Um, this is, I, I just put this picture in. This is, you know, we're going to have him, I'll tell more about him at another call. But this is one of the prayer leaders, young prayer leaders. Yes, he is tall of uh, Norway and very connected with members of parliament and leading in worship and prayer for the nation. A young man, I mean, we met another couple that was equally passionate for their country. What I want you to see is even in these countries that are really experiencing some challenging time governmentally uh, in terms of gospel spread, here are these people passionately praying, fiercely committed to pray for their nation and specifically those in government. And I'm going to have him come on. So I, I want you to remember this face. We'll have Yon back on, J-O-N, but Yon is the way they pronounce it. I'm going to have him back on. And, and talk to you. You're going to be so encouraged when you see the fervency uh, and the optimism he feels for the things of the Lord, for the country that he loves so deeply. Now we're in that chamber that I pointed out to you, the second floor, and we're, we're with uh, one of the members of parliament who graciously spent time with us and gave us the tour in some of the rooms. He's from a, a party that 
that is equivalent to the Republican Party in the U.S., except it would be on a number of issues, but except when I brought up, I said, does that include abortion and marriage? And the answer is no, it does not. He said, that's not an issue here. We don't we don't discuss that here. That's not, he said, in the States, I know it's a fairly hotly contested issue, but that's not the issue here. So in other words, the most conservative party or the most conservative party with a substantial number of seats in the parliament, uh, that's simply a non-issue uh, to them. So we know how to pray for that nation that would preserve its young and, pre and preserve God's definition of marriage. We're now in Geneva, Switzerland. Many of you recognize this famous fountain in Geneva. Uh, we went there because of a, a conference taking place. So I'll introduce in a moment. But I learned something about this fountain, a little bit of trivia. I always thought it was pumps shooting the water in the air. But what was explained to us is that that is water that comes from a pipe by the mountain very close nearby. <clears throat> and that's just sheer centrifugal force. I mean, that's just sheer the force of gravity uh, forcing that up in the air by that pipe coming, the water coming from the top of the mountain is released at that particular point. It's really stunning uh, that when you see that, when you see how high that shoots in the air. In the city of Geneva, it was during the Reformation period, Martin Luther, the Reformation dates, dates from, they dated from October the 31st, 1517, when Martin Luther posted the 95 Theses on the Wittenberg door. And then there were a whole series of towns in which the Reformation erupted across much of Germany and Switzerland. <clears throat> it went, it was led by people like John Calvin, William Farrell, uh, John Knox up in Scotland, Johann Aklampadios. That's the hardest name to pronounce, Johann Aklampadios. He was the reformer in the town of Basel, Switzerland. We, we actually, we got into Paris on our way to Vienna. Our, our flight was was on time, but the Paris airport was so massive. We walked, I think I felt I covered a marathon that day, and passport control was very backed up. So we mixed our next flight. We missed the first event in Vienna we tried to get to. And so the result is they couldn't, we couldn't, we weren't even going to be able to get to Vienna in time for the next morning event. But they kept working on it. Finally, they were gracious enough. They got us on a flight to Basel. And so we got midnight for to, to Vienna for an early morning event the next morning in Vienna, Austria. But we landed in Basel, and I, I remembered this is the home of Johann Aklampadios. Each country you'd go to, as Zurich, it'd be Ulrich Zwingli. There were various leaders of the Reformation when that broke out, exploded this, this great move of God. Well, the one who's the most known is, of course, Martin Luther, but close in his shadows would be John Calvin. He was the systematic theologian. He was the thinker. He was the right. He wrote, Luther wrote an awful lot too. Uh, but in Geneva, Switzerland, uh, John Knox, I mean, I'm sorry, John Calvin attempted to establish what would, what would the city of God look like? What would heaven on earth look like? What would the city be like? And he, he wasn't born in Geneva. He was born in Noyon, France. I've taken people to that location years ago on a tour. That's up north of Paris. And when he got to Paris, he was run out of Paris because of his views. He and a buddy were run out of town by their views. Back in that day, you couldn't have a different theological view or you'd be run out of town. That's like the woke cancel culture has become today, unfortunately. But he went. He ended up down in Geneva, didn't intend to stay there long, but he ended up spending the rest of his life there. And there he influenced enormously uh, the Reformation with his extensive writings, John Calvin, commemorating his life 
is the, the Reformation Wall. It is massive in size and in length. It's really quite substantial. And it's known for four primarily reformers. And, and from left to right, it's going to be uh, William Farrell, uh, John Calvin, uh, and then, uh, let's see, John, John Knox on the far right, and Theodore Bo Boozer is the one uh, next for the right. I've got them listed here for you. Here they are in proper order. William Farrell, John Calvin, Theodore Beza, and uh, and then John Knox, who's better known for his time up in in bringing the Reformation to, to Scotland. <clears throat> I know these, it looks like I'm putting a pictures of a bunch of dead guys up. But let me tell you, these men were brilliant thinkers in understanding scripture, understanding the body politic, and understanding political science, and understanding, quite frankly, Martin Luther Reformation affected every, every, every academic discipline that you could think of at the time. And so we're quite indebted. We're severely indebted to people like this. I'm going to go back once you can just see there's the Reformation wall. The smaller figures you see to the right and the left, there's quite a few of those. Those are people who were impacted by what happened in Geneva, Switzerland. It's in the 1500s now. And including over to the right, you'll see the pilgrims who came to America. And when they came, they were sorting out the issue. What is government supposed to be like? They were the early runners with well-versed. There was biblical application to governmental issues. So once again, William Farrell, John Calvin, Theodore Beza, and John Knox. I recognize William Farrell and Theodore Beza are not nearly as well-known as uh, Calvin and Knox, but these are individuals who your life has been profoundly touched by in all kinds of ways uh, you might not even know. This is the St. Pierre, or that would be St. Peter, St. Pierre of the church, uh, that John Knox founded. And it's actually founded um, on a second century church. But you go you go down to the crypt and there's the foundations from the second century. The early believers made it uh, here clear back in that, that time. Now we're in, uh, still in Geneva, but we're at the United Nations. Now the United Nations, the upper left-hand corner is all the flags. There's 193 member nations of the United Nations. Uh, sometimes they add in 194th observer status of a nation, but 193 member nations. And you see Rosemary and me there. We were at an, we were at an event called GILP, Geneva Institute of Leadership and Public Policy, G-I-L-P-P. -P. It's an annual event. It was started by an organization quite a few years ago in conjunction with uh, what is called UNITAR. UNITAR is United Nations Training and Research. Now, it's the one branch of the United Nations that is headed by a strong follower of Jesus. His name is Alex Mayaos. He's from Ecuador. He was a banker. Was he and his wife had the privilege of meeting him back in 2019 and being with him again. This is an extremely impressive figure. He walks carefully and lives his life in a careful balance in the role that he finds himself in. Uh, but I cannot tell you how impressive it is to be around him and his wife who are profoundly passionate about biblical truth. While we were there, this is only a few of the pictures. I wish I could, I wish you could meet all the people that we met. The upper left-hand corner, I'm going to wrap this up here pretty quickly now. 
Upper left-hand corner is Colin Bloom. He's been a friend of ours for 10 years or more. He's from Britain. And through the years, he's gone through a lot of positions and he ended up as advisor to 10 Downing. When you say advisor to 10 Downing, what does that mean? 10 Downing Street is where the prime minister lives. And most recently, he's been an advisor to the prime minister. Um, and he is a take no prisoner, bold for Jesus Christ. It was really good reconnecting with him. The next gentleman to the right, the top line, he is a pastor under tough conditions up in Syria. And that lady in the white uh, sort of flowery dress, uh, she's a former member of the parliament in Romania. Uh, she really wants my book and will verse to be in Romania. So we're just getting her English copies for right now as quickly as we can. And then we're got to figure out how to get into Romanian right away. Uh, a member of parliament also here from, oh my goodness, Uganda, Nigeria. I'm, I'm forgetting which country uh, there at the top right this moment. Um, he was absolute delight. Uh, the gentleman down in the far right bottom corner, he's the ambassador from Bosnia Herzegovina to Switzerland, Liechtenstein. I'm on the bottom left speaking there and uh, shared my heart deeply. The, the day before, before, they have a pre-gilp and a gilp. Pre-gilp is before the conference, before the conference. And that one is strictly, you can talk biblical references, Christian language, once you flow into guilt, Geneva Institute of Leadership and Public Policy, you have to talk in terms of sociological principles. You saw the biblical principles underlying them, but you don't use Bible or Bible verses any longer. But you make the case for biblical truth from a sociological uh, standpoint. We are then now, we shifted to London, England. This got tacked on the last minute, got invited to an important conference there. And this is the beautiful hall in which it took place, quite breathtaking in uh, in England. Uh, one of the first speakers up was Tony Abbott, former prime minister of Australia. His talk, you've been so encouraged. His, his talk was breathtakingly powerful. I wish I could have had a video of it. It was stunning. His overview, how clearly understood the Australia, Americas and, and Europe, Western Europe's situation we find ourselves in rock solid on the issues this is this is the former prime minister of slovenia his name is janes Jansa. and uh he, 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 when you're around him you feel like this is the man you'd want to charge any hill with and him in leadership bold gutsy courageous uh and, and there was just a lot of them speaking at this conference i didn't put all their pictures in it was an all-day conference. I was taking notes as fast as I could with some of the top leaders and, and attempting to come against the, the woke. There was such a grasp of the seriousness. This was not a, quote, Bible versus group either, but it was a group of people who understood what is at stake in, in all of our nations and around the world. Most were from Britain, but there was a lot of other countries represented I was very excited to get invited at the last minute. We had to make changes to get there and be a part of it. When the day was over, I took my wife out to the John Wesley site. This is his home. Uh, he, he operated out of Oxford, England, Lincoln, uh, Lincoln uh, College. He operated out of this site called City Road in London, and he also headquartered over in Bristol. He had kind of a triumvirate of headquarters. 
that he operated. And there's so many stories I can tell you about this building. I'll, I'll pass on that one. I just want to take you all back here, if I possibly can. November, I don't know, two through six or something like that. We'll have to come up with the dates. As I indicated at the outset, I've taken people on, I think, four tours, Wesley tours, maybe five. I'm not sure. Uh, and I've, I've been thinking about it for quite some time, on Wesley tour of England. And then, as I indicated earlier, if you just joined us late, there's a conference October 30 through November 1. It's a profound conference. It's called the Alliance for um, Responsible Citizenship. And it's very, very pricey, unfortunately. It's $1,500 registration. So people could come early and attend that before that registration. It's frankly, it's going to be quite worth it with uh, some of those brilliant minds from all over the world standing for the kind of values that you and I believe in offsetting some of the damage done by organizations like World Economic Forum, for example. But what John Wesley was lived the entire 1700s and, uh, and, and was the man who transformed England. I, I ask a lot of Brits on the streets and get in conversation with a lot of people. I had some fun conversations because the streets, remember, it stays light late. And so people were on the streets. And so they, they were talkative and I just had lots of conversation. I said, do you know who John Wesley is? I never found a single person from Britain who knew who John Wesley was. The most important figure, in my opinion, of course, the fact I did my doctoral dissertation on him makes me a little bit prejudiced. But I would start telling them who he was and what he did. I said, because of him, you, you Brits, you, you in England, you avoided the, the, the bloody French Revolution. It would have hit you had not the gospel come first and done the transformation of culture. You talk about revival and reform together. Revival where the heart is changed, reform where society's culture changed. You need both revival and reform. Reformation. Never pray for just one. If you have reformation without the heart change, it doesn't last very long. So it takes both. But Britain was in a horrible condition before the gospel hit there. And, and when Wesley started finally preaching in August of, uh, well, actually April of 1739. We were right there by uh, Aldersgate Street, uh, where in the in the shadows of St. Paul's Cathedral in London, Wesley had his conversion experience, May the 24th, 1738, at 8.45, at quarter, quarter till nine that evening. He felt his heart strangely warmed. Now, he had been a missionary to General uh, Governor Oglethorpe's colony in Georgia in the New World before that, but did not know Christ personally. He was transformed. And he was dared to preach on the streets, and he did. He started preaching on the streets. It was dangerous, and they get hit with rocks. And it touched off a massive revival. And Wesley organized the people how to sustain a revival. He sustained them through what we call class leaders, band leaders, local preachers, lay preachers. He trained massive numbers of people and sustained the entire revival. Whether George Whitfield didn't have any of that organizational structure, did not sustain anything of what he did. He had a lot of converts, but nothing ever floated in sustain them and have the discipleship movement that John Wesley did. Across the street from John Wesley's home where we're now standing is Bunhill Fields Cemetery. If you'll look at the top one, that's Rosemary by John Bunyan's a Burial Place. He's the author of Pilgrim's Progress and other great books. Everybody knows him by one book. And uh, if you'll look on the middle and the far right, as the burial place for John Bunyan. Look at the bottom left-hand corner. That's the burial place for Isaac Watts. Uh, you can, it's moss-covered, but, covered, but under those 
is the is Isaac Watts on that tombstone. He wrote "Joy to the World," and he also wrote um, "When I Survey the Wondrous Cross." And uh, oh God, our help in ages past. He wrote so many hymns. Isaac Watts did was the great hymnologist of the time. In the center, you see Rosemary standing in the walkway in Bunhill Fields. Again, this is a cemetery directly across the street from John Wesley's chapel and John Wesley's home. We actually talked to the pastor as a female pastor there at the church. We got to visit with her quite a while. The church, she says, is doing extremely good at this time, which is encouraging. And then on the far right is Susanna Wesley's burial place. Susanna Wesley gave birth to 19 children. 11 of them died in infancy. And she she's not from London originally. I don't believe that. She and her husband, Samuel Wesley, he was the rector or the priest, Anglican priest, up in um, Epworth in Lincolnshire. So quite a ways north, quite a few hours drive uh, north. I've been up to his home and uh, a lot of stories. I'm so tempted to tell you about all that, but I'm going to refrain myself and uh, be disciplined on this and, and keep on, on course. But Susanna Wesley, through her son John and through her son Charles, who wrote 6,500 hymns. Now, these weren't worship songs. There's nothing wrong with worship songs to repeat themselves. I hear people criticize present-day worship songs and make fun of the fact that they repeat themselves. Well, so does Psalm 150. I will praise you, I will praise you, I will praise you. And so repeating himself in worship is not wrong. but it, it, it's, it's fine, it's right. But these songs were not for that purpose. These songs, we are singing the functional theology and they're theologically rich. Remember, most people didn't have much of an education. Most people couldn't read. Uh, books were primo. You couldn't you know, get a book of what books there were, were chained. Uh, the, you, you just didn't have access. So they wrote songs so people would be able to sing and remember basically their theology and their brilliant works of art theologically. It's, it's really quite staggering. You just look at, at Martin Luther's uh, uh, A Mighty Fortress is Our God and work through that one. Look at, the, look at the premises it has about spiritual warfare. It's a stunning teaching tool about Christology, armor theology. Uh, it, it has a host of things in it. Well, this is a cemetery uh, right across the street from John Wesley's famous City Road Chapel in, in London, England. As I indicated, one of his three headquarters he operated out of when the revival spread. It went all across America. From Bristol, he sent a 26-year-old named Francis Asbury in 1771 who came to America. And Francis Asbury carried the gospel. He became so famous on the 13 colonies. You could send a letter to Francis Asbury, America, from Britain, and they would find him and get the letter to him. Obviously not quickly. But they would they would get this letter to him. And it said he trained. These were circuit riders. They were on horseback continually. They didn't live very long because they were out in inclement weather. They were in horrible weather conditions. They didn't have a place. They didn't have hotels to sleep. And they slept wherever they could. Anytime. Sometimes there was an expression in the New World, the 13 colonies, the weather is out so bad. Only the some some bird that would fly in bad weather. I can't remember which one it is. Only the bird, this particular bird and the method circuit riders are out today. It is so bad. But they carried the gospel. That don't think of Methodist like Methodist churches today. Think of a fire of the Holy Spirit. I mean, impart the impartation on them was staggering and it moved across America quickly. We'll go to the next one. That's the close out. <clears throat> I want to invite you to be a come of a European team with us. The European team simply means this pray, pray for Europe. We're focused on other countries as well. This is not the only country we're, we're focusing on by any stretch. 
but God has simply opened some doors there. It's been quite amazing. So we've walked through them. I want to encourage you to pray and pray and pray and pray. Don't give up on praying for Europe. And then secondly, if you will consider financially supporting, why is that? We're launching very soon. I don't know how soon, but I think it could be as quickly as September. Monthly Zoom calls with believers who are in members of parliament, who are members of parliament across Europe. We'll have a member of Congress or a couple of members of Congress on with me. It'll be one hour Zoom calls. It'll be 4 a.m. my time. It'll be 7 a.m. Uh, East Coast for our members of Congress. It'll be about 1 p.m. or 2 p.m. in much of Europe. So kind of a, a late noontime meal for them. We'll go live for one hour. We're inviting them to come on and doing training and well-versed the biblical grounding. Our, our first person who is a, a senator from the U.S. Congress, I won't say his name yet, who is going to be our guest, our first one. And then we have a man in Europe who's coordinating all this for us. So we'll be launching that. I'd like to invite you to invest in that. There's a second thing we're trying to do. Um, we're really blessed to have a tech-savvy team. And they're guiding me in how we can get my book out quicker in other languages. The first few languages have taken us quite a few bit of time. And uh, it's not easy to do. It's, it's costly. But thanks to AI, AI can be bad. AI can be good. And uh, But we're trying to use AI to translate the book well-versed. We can get it into other languages very quickly, both audio and the printed page. And so we're trying to get that done so we get into a, a number. There's 80 languages that AI can now translate into. So we're looking at how to do that. I'm inviting you to invest in that, if you would, uh, with me. A at the same time, uh, we're also uh, underway in plans to reach for the next generation. And some things are coming down the pipe we'll be talking about later to try to reach the next generation as quickly as possible. And by that, I mean a children's version, a youth version, even a sort of a well-versed youth camp or young adult camp that we're working on right now. And then the last thing I ask you to invest in is well-versed. The book well-versed covers 30 topics laying the biblical foundations to 30 political topics. And by the way, I, it's, it's not like everybody's clamoring for biblical truth. I'm not suggesting everybody says, oh, please come talk to us. So I have to make the case why biblical truth matters. And uh, well, one guy in Britain said to me in London, <clears throat> I said, I bring biblical principles of governance to members of parliament across Europe. He looked at me and said, good luck with that one. I said, oh, no, the word of God is powerful. It's needed. I think I, I'm going to repeat the stories I told you in the United Nations. When we talked to one particular ambassador in New York City from a small Muslim nation, and I said, you have 40 percent unemployment. That's very painful for your people. He said, yes, it is. I said, well, we bring biblical principles of economics for nations so their nations can prosper. Can I pray for you for that? His response was, yes. He didn't say, no, I'm a Muslim. You're a Christian. Don't pray for me. Once he knew the relevance. One time our team was meeting with a member of the, an ambassador in New York City at the United Nations. We say, we bring biblical principles of governance. He said, well, I don't care what the Bible says. I'm an atheist. I don't. I wouldn't have no interest. And our team member went on and said, well, we talked about minimum wage, what the Bible says about minimum wage, social security, health care, welfare, immigration. He said, wait a minute. Does the Bible talk about immigration? He said, yes. He said, what does this say? It suddenly changed in a heartbeat. So what we do is try to appeal 
to the need that's within them. Everyone knows the countries, the institutions are failing. Countries are on fire. Our world's in difficult situation. And I like to make the case that God loves us, loves us so much. He has a book for us called the Bible. And everybody knows the Bible covers issues of personal issues, family issues, uh, church and congregational issues. It also speaks to civil governance. <clears throat> Why is that? God created government. The institute, the, the idea of nations was his idea. He loves the nations. In fact, so much that the Great Commission is to disciple nations. That's the word there. And so I bring that news. So we're writing a new book. It's not to, it's not an update of volume one. It's a volume two. It covers 60 topics. Well-versed. I don't know what the title of it's going to be. Well-versed in a woke culture, maybe, or something. I'm not sure. But it's, it's covering 60 different topics. And we're underway. We're well underway. Our goal is to try to have it out if we possibly can uh, by the end of the year. That's why we're working hard vigorously right now. So we ask you to join our team and support us. If you go right now to wellversedworld.org and make a donation, it costs a great deal uh, for us to make these connections and, and help make the case for biblical principles of governance. It's not cheap. The, the, the extended trip before, the long one that was actually longer, was probably close to $30,000. This one will be less than that. I don't know what it is. I'm going to guess in the range of fifteen to 20000 It's very expensive. It's very costly. And these are not touristy, I assure you. They're quite exhausting. <laughs> they, uh, they, they tax us because uh, you, you have to flow when you're flying, as you know, in mass transit. We had to make a lot of changes and you have to get the flow of what's happening in order to make them all occur. So I would ask you in, to uh, consider as a, being a prayer partner and praying uh, vigorously uh, for Wellverse. And don't give up on praying for Europe. What kind of a spark could set off a revival there? It, it happened before. It can happen again. Uh, and then I ask you to support us. The contacts that God has given us, I, I'm, I'm blown away at the contacts that God has given us in this country, way beyond what we could possibly deserve. So would you financially invest uh, in these endeavors? We're so grateful for that. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please read the show notes for additional details if you would like a copy of the book or resources mentioned. Remember that WellVersed is a 501c3 tax-deductible nonprofit organization. We rely on your support and partnership. Don't forget to hit subscribe to keep up to date with our latest episodes. Leave us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. Thank you for listening to the WellVersed podcast. For more information, please go to www.wellversedworld.org.